So one of the things that um, is a failure of pastors uh, throughout time is we have not done a very good job of uh, talking and teaching about the difference between a disciple and an apostle. We tend to use those terms interchangeably because the 12 disciples of the 12 close-knit group of Jesus' followers became the 12 apostles following his death and resurrection. And so we do use those terms interchangeably. But this morning I think it's very important for us to take a moment to recognize that a disciple is not an apostle, an apostle is not a disciple. They can be the same person, but they are two different roles and they are two different ways of being. A disciple is one who is a learner. They're a student. They're a follower. And so during Jesus' life, he had many, many disciples. We talk mostly about the 12, but he had many disciples, many students, many people who followed him and went with him and learned from him and sought to understand what he was teaching and doing in the world. Following his death and resurrection, we suddenly had apostles. And the apostles were those who had been sent out into the world. They had been sent out with a mission and a ministry. They had been sent out to do something. They went to go to share the gospel of Jesus Christ in the world. They had been disciples. They had been learners. They had been students. And then, even though they stayed disciples, learners, and students, they were also apostles, those going out into the world with a mission and a ministry. And so it's in that understanding that we uh, find ourselves in the first chapter of Acts. Because there had been 12 people in Jesus' close circle. Um, the disciples, the, who, those 12 who had become the apostles. See, I'm even doing it now, interchanging those two terms. Um, but uh, those 12 who had, be, the, who had been the close-knit group of disciples, um, they wanted to... They were the ones who Jesus had called to go out into the world, telling them, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But they were missing one. They were missing Judas, and they felt that they needed to have that 12. And so they picked someone. And you heard Dick read the story about how they came uh, to decide who the 12th apostle would be to take Judas's place, because Judas should have been the 12th apostle. And so they they had to decide how to do that. And so they had two of Jesus' other disciples outside of the close-knit group of 12 who they felt were very good and right and qualified for the job. And they prayed and they said, God, you know whom you have called to this ministry. You know whom you have called to send out into the world to share the good news of your son. Help us understand who that is. Help us understand who is to be an apostle alongside us. Help us to understand who has been called to this ministry. And so they cast lots. And I don't know what casting lots looked like at the time, but I imagine a little bit of a, you know, a drawing. You know, you got the sticks, and whoever got the short stick ended up being the apostle. And Matthias was called. And I have to confess that I think that perhaps Matthias had to have been a little bit like, what? I'm not ready for this. I'm a student. I don't know enough yet. Let me follow Jesus. 
teach, Jesus' teachings for a few more years. Let me learn a little bit more. Let me study a little bit more about how to do this. I don't know how to go out into the world. I don't know how to share what Jesus has been talking about. There's got to be somebody else. I'm not qualified. I'm not ready. I don't know what I am doing. And yet he was the one who was called. And so he went anyway. He must have felt completely unprepared. This call, this ministry was placed on him seemingly by chance, and he was thrust suddenly into it. He had to have been wondering, what do I do now? How do I do this? How am I supposed to do this? What am I supposed to do? Friends, I think that many of us often feel that way. We come here to this place and we participate in the life and the fellowship of the church and then one day something happens. Either somehow we feel drawn to a program or a ministry or else we get a phone call from someone on the nominating committee saying, hey, I think you make a great deacon. And the next thing that we know, we are involved in a ministry or a program which we may feel completely unprepared for. We may feel inadequate. I don't know enough to teach Sunday school. Let me learn more myself before I participate in a Bible study. Let me learn more myself before I help out with vacation Bible school. Let me learn more myself before I serve on the deacons or the session or on one of the committees. Let, let, me, let me learn more before I can do this because I'm not ready. I don't know enough. There's got to be someone with more experience there's got to be someone with more history. There's got to be someone who really knows what they're doing. That's not me. We may just wish that we could just go and learn more, be a disciple for a few more years before we're sent out to be an apostle, to go and do. So this morning I'd like to tell you a little bit about my life and my first year of ministry. So seminary is three years long. If you go full-time, it's a three-year program in the Presbyterian tradition. And in those three years, you have to take classes on a whole range of subjects, everywhere from a full year of Greek and Hebrew to biblical courses, intensive in certain books. I, I spent an entire quarter translating the book of 1 John from the Greek into English. History theology, ethics, interfaith relations, and some practical ministry stuff. I did find myself fortunate enough to take a class where we uh, worked with practice budgets. And so I had some experience working with a budget before I walked into a church. And I will tell you that most of my classmates didn't take that class. And so the first time they worked with a budget was their first year of ministry. So after three years, I had a shiny new MDiv, and only a year and a half later, I found myself certified to seek a call. That is my Presbytery of Care, the Presbytery of Santa Fe, said I was ready to be, uh, at the time, a minister of word and sacrament in the Presbyterian Church USA. That is, I was ready to lead a church. Now, during every pastor's first year in ministry, they start to compile a list of things I wish they had taught me. 
In fact, the Presbyterian Outlook, one of our denominational uh, publications, has been doing a whole series on their website about this recently, where they invited their regular bloggers who are ministers um, to write specifically about the things that they had wished that they had known getting into ministry. And for me, my list, I think, was fairly typical of most people getting out of seminary. The list I started to compile had things like, I wish I had learned about how to identify emotional landmines before I stepped in them. I wish I had learned some basic mechanics or plumbing skills. I wish I had learned how to moderate a meeting. My first session meeting that I moderated, I walked in too cold. I had never been a ruling elder. I had never served on a session. I had never sat in on a session meeting. This is true confessions here, folks. I only knew what we needed to talk about, what some basic Robert's rules of order was, and I had an excellent clerk session that would keep me moving forward. I had no idea what I was doing. The church survived. <laughs> also on my list were some things that I wish I had been taught differently. perfect example of that is... Uh, I think solidified in some of the things that I was taught about worship. Now, worship is very important, and in the Presbyterian tradition and the Reformed tradition, the center of the worship service is the word, the reading, the hearing, and the proclamation of the word of God. And so we were taught that your sermon was vitally important. And we were taught that you should never shorten a sermon for any reason. <laughs> any reason. It doesn't matter what else is going on in the worship service. You do not shorten your sermon because then you are shorting the word of God. And so my first Easter, they had also said, you know, confirmation, that is a perfect thing to do on Easter Sunday. So I was like, okay, let's have the confirmation class on Easter Sunday. I had a confirmation class at 8 one of whom needed to be baptized, so we had a confirmation, we had a baptism. It was Easter, so we had communion. And then the choir wanted to sing two pieces, and then somebody else wanted a special piece, and I thought, we can do this! We can do this! And of course, I can't shorten my sermon. And so then in the middle of the um, communion service, cell phones started to ring out in the sanctuary, and people were silencing them hurriedly, and I'm just continuing on... Breaking the bread, and cell phones are ringing here, and people are getting up and sneaking out and coming back in. And I thought, man, people are being impatient. What is going on? And then the service ended, and I looked at the time. Two hours. <laughs> I wish, perhaps, they had taught me that it's okay to preach a short sermon now and then. But even though I once kept such a list, if only in my head, I no longer do, nor do I wish or desire that I had really learned anything more or anything different than what I did in seminary, because the reality is that there is no way on God's green earth that a three or even four, five, or six-year program could possibly prepare any person for the myriad realities of serving a community of people. Because there is no class that could have possibly prepared me for learning how to comfort the grieving even as I myself grieved. There's no class that could possibly prepare me for negotiating a contract with Verizon for a cell phone tower. 
There's no class that could have possibly prepared me for the reality of a calling and a life where you are laughing, crying, going over budgets, contracts, paperwork, all while planning a celebration and a funeral in one day. There's no class that could have possibly prepared me for what to do when I got a phone call the day before a wedding I am set to officiate where my mother is telling me that my father has gone into a diabetic coma while on vacation with our one-year-old son. The reality is that while my seminary education was good and important for my life and ministry, there is no class and no program that could have possibly prepared me for ministry. And there comes a time when you simply recognize that. There comes a time when you simply recognize that the majority of a calling is something that you simply have to do and learn by doing, by figuring out what has worked well and how to build on that, and acknowledging what has gone spectacularly, horribly wrong <clears throat> to our Easter service, and how to change that so you get a different result in the future. And so you get out there and you do it anyway because it's what you're called to do. And you learn and you grow and you make mistakes and you fall down and you get back up and dust off your knees and you keep on going because it's what you're called to do. And you encounter things that you have no idea what to do with and you recognize your limitations and you get help and guidance where you need it. You refer people on when necessary and you keep going, serving as you are called to do sharing the good news of God with those whom you have been given because it's what you are called to do. And one day you look back and you realize that the list of things that you now know is so much longer than what you once knew, but that list is still so much shorter than what you don't know. And yet you get, out, you get back out there, learn and do and go and grow because it's what you're called to do. Sisters and brothers, I share this with you all this morning because I believe that this is the story for all of us. Not just people who have an MDiv and have been called to serve a church as a minister of word and sacrament or a teaching elder or however we decide next year to call it. This is all of our stories because we are all disciples of Jesus Christ learners, students, and followers who have come to the feet of our Lord to learn from him and to grow into who God has created us to be. And we are all called also to be apostles, to go out, to not only learn but do, to not only learn but go, to be sent out into the world into a ministry, into a calling, to share and to show the love of God through Christ in whatever way or manner we are called. And I do believe that each and every one of us has a ministry, and each and every one of us has a calling in our lives. Now, this looks and presents differently for each of us and differently in places and times in our lives, but we all have a call and we all have a ministry. And sometimes we know that it's coming and we can plan for it and do our best to plan for it. And sometimes it can hit us out of the blue like the casting of lots. And as we are called, sometimes we feel completely prepared and equipped to do it. But most of the time, we recognize that we aren't. And yet the reality is, 
that as we are called, God will strengthen us, guide us, teach us, and equip us. Because we stay disciples, we stay students, we stay learners, even as we are called and sent out into the world as apostles. And so God will equip us. Equip us through the guiding of the Holy Spirit. Equip us through the guiding of those whom God has given us. Equip us through the humility to acknowledge when we are lacking and the spirit of willingness to learn. Equip us through the blessing of the myriad of experiences that we have. And so we get out there and we do it anyway because it's what we are called to do. And you learn and you grow and you make mistakes and you fall down and you get back up, dust off your knees and keep on going because it's what you are called to do. In your ministry and in your call, you are going to encounter things that you have no idea what to do with them. And then you can recognize your limitations and you get help where you need it and refer people on when necessary and you keep on going because it's what you are called to do. And one day you look back and you realize that God has equipped you so much and taught you so much and that there is still so much more to learn because God will continue to send you and to teach you and to guide you and equip you your whole life long. And so, sisters and brothers, no matter what you are called to do, no matter where you are called in the world, world, I pray that you may recognize your role as disciple and apostle and get out there, learn, do, go, grow, because it's what you are called to do. May you always learn, do, go, and grow, rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit in your life as you go where you are called grow where you are called share the good news the love and the peace of our Lord each and every day let us pray gracious and loving God this morning we take a moment to confess to you that we avoid our calling because We do not think that we are ready. Help us to trust in you to equip us and guide us. Help us to trust in you to show us your way. Help us to trust in you to help us to see all that you can do in our lives and in the world. And as we do so, O Lord, we pray that you may be with all those who are in need of you. Show your comfort and your care. Make your presence known even in the deepest, darkest places. We pray that you may heal the broken, bind up the wounded, give strength to the weak and hope. We pray, O Lord, that you may give peace to your world and take away our love of sinning and of power and instead set us in this world to love and to serve you by loving and serving others. We pray, O Lord, that you may be with us in the difficult decisions of this world. That you may give us wisdom and peace. That you may be with us in our choices. We pray that you may be with us in our transitions. Help us to know that you go with us always. That you are in us and with us. 
Help us to know that you are with us in everything, O Lord. We do thank you for your gifts and your blessings, for the miracles and the wonders that you have created in this world. Help us to rejoice in them and in you. We pray all of these things in the name of your Son, our Lord, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.